0: Stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders. Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout, and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. shield. Listening in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Hong Kong, China, and in Prague, in the Czech Republic, I am your parliamentarian of the podcast, the colonel of the colonies, the Grand Duke Scott of the Duchy of Florida. This is a bonus episode of the Shot and Shield podcast, dedicated to colonial and 19th century war gaming. Mm.
1: What are you waiting for? Come on, come on!
0: Shot and Shield, your colonial wargaming podcast. The 19th century ended amid the glories of the Victorian
1: era. Shot and Shield, a podcast dedicated to wargaming the colonial era. In those aristocratic Victorian days, when, as Disraeli said, the world was for the few and for the very
0: few the views expressed during shot and shield are the hosts and only meant to be taken seriously if you feel it's necessary good luck against those elephants and now shot and shield in this bonus episode i am joined by jason weiser He is the Editor-in-Chief of Military Miniature, which is a North American digital publication covering war games, tabletop games, miniatures, conventions, and much more. Jason is joining me to talk about Military Miniature, war gaming, and he's going to help me continue my search to discover what Back of Beyond actually means. Jason, thank you for joining me today, and congratulations on the
1: magazine. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate the uh, very lovely intro, by the way.
0: So Jason, what's the most exciting thing about being Editor-in-Chief?
1: Uh, I don't know. Some say it's, you know, some of my friends say it's watching me let my inner J. Jonah Jameson out. But um, yeah, (laughs) but I I, when you're a writer, you're kind of used to working for everybody else. Unless, of course, you, you know, get lucky and write books for a living and then you're your own boss. It's just for me, it's a chance to do all the things I saw right and wrong about Wargaming magazines when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. and, you know, getting into the hobby and formulating my own opinions about the hobby. You know, I grew up and there was so much out there. There was uh, general and, uh, oh yeah, you know, uh, gosh, uh, there was challenge magazine over on the GDW side that did more role playing than anything else. But there was also, you know, that, and then there was, you know, battle technology, which did the battle tech stuff. And then there was, you know, there was just more gaming magazines than you could shake a stick at.
0: Absolutely. You could, you, at that time, I remember, because you could go into Barnes & Noble or any bookstore, even your mom and pop uh, newsstand. And they would have a whole section of history and wargaming. And it would be all right there. Just like uh, if you look above it, there was all the crocheting. And to the mm-hmm. right, it was all the knitting. And all the to the left of that was all the scrapbooking. So, yeah, no, I hear
1: you on that. Yeah. And that's... What I wanted this magazine to do was to be a throwback a little bit to those kinds of magazines, not so much in the subject matter, but in the tone and the way we did things. But also, let's face it, since The Courier and M1 have left the scene, there hasn't been a North American miniature wargaming magazine really of any kind. All the magazines, especially from the historical side, they're coming from England. Or they're coming from Europe. I mean, to mention working in strategy and soldier, they're not coming from the United States. I mean, I keep harping on this point. You know, we here in the United States, we're not an outpost, you know, where you rarely hear things, you know, in the British wargaming magazines. We have our own gaming scene. We have a vital gaming scene. And it's time somebody paid attention to that.
0: So, so you feel that that general community isn't paying attention to that?
1: No, I, I do not. Um, I I don't I think it's a mixture of, as I said, you know, most of these magazines are centered in England. It's a Mm -hmm. lot easier to make most of these British cons when you're in Britain than it is to send somebody halfway across the pond to cover Historic Con. And, and, you know, Bill Gray, who's been covering a lot of cons for Wargames Illustrated here in the States. You know, he's been covering the big three um, uh, HMGS cons. He's he's thinking about retiring. I mean, he's, I've spoken mm-hmm. to him in a couple of emails and he's seriously thinking about it. So what are they going to have covering American conventions real soon? Not a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, except if they fly somebody over and that's not cheap, especially these days. You had
0: said that um, there were some things that some of the magazines did really well and some of the things that the magazines that uh, maybe weren't as done as, as well as, you would have liked so let's so let's not to harp on the negatives what what are some of the things you you didn't like about some of the magazines out there without naming a magazine it doesn't matter back
1: then it felt as if that sometimes they phoned in some of the editing standards does that make any sense like yes, there were absolutely. some articles out there that really just as i you know took more english courses and learn to write better. I would sit there. I'd reread some of these paragraphs that I'd read when I was younger and thought were the coolest thing in the world. I'd read it again. and like, oh my God, what is this man trying to say? So,
0: yeah. You know what? There's there's articles now, even if you go to, you know, you go to the news sites, regular news sites, like oh leg- yeah, legitimate news sites where you start reading, you think to yourself, why is it this guy spelling your incorrectly? You know, where's, it, where's this sentence heading? Why does sentence end on a verb? You know, so
1: I I hear I hear what
0: you're saying. That's I think that's a society now, but um, but no, I hear I hear you on that. So what what about the things they were doing right? Let's the let's things to- they
1: were doing right, which was engaging ordinary gamers, being sort of a farm club where a lot of younger gamers could find their way into the industry. I mean, that how many names do you remember? The first appeared in places like Courier or the General mm-hmm. or you know the challenge magazine or where have you that became names in the hobby i name more than a few i mean we all can and what i'm saying is i wanted to provide that you know sort of i guess for lack of a better word farm club you know hey you got a good you got a rule set you want somebody to you know play test the hell out of publish it in our magazine you know whether it works or not we won't hold it against you
0: I'm speaking with Jason Weiser at uh, militaryminiature.com and the magazine, uh, the new one is out now so if you go there take a look at it because there's some there's some interesting articles in there one of the articles that i want to talk about uh with you is and this is a, a 19th century and colonial war gaming podcast that's what we do here uh, that's what mm. i do here i should say david hiscox has a piece about uh, woesley's uh, campaign to rescue gordon at cartoon can you talk about that a little bit
1: well he wrote it for black powder it's really he does it's really to do the whole campaign as a whole but he included At least one scenario in there to get everybody started. And, you know, basically, it's a retelling of of that entire campaign down to, you know, down there to an attempt to save Gordon. Now, we all know how it all worked out. Right. (laughs) Gordon was a head shorter by the time Wolseley got there, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, the point is, is he did a really good job with it. I think people are going to like what they see. We've even got a little art in it from Johnny Shoemate. Some really wonderful photos to go nice. with it. This is the kind of thing I want to do. I want stuff in the magazine that's practical, stuff that you know you can take out of the mag- magazine and make use of it. It's not just pie in the sky, endless discussions about dice probabilities that will literally put you to sleep. Absolutely.
0: For my first convention that I ran a game on my own, there were some things that I missed. I used uh, it was a colonial game. It was uh, British Afghans. I used the sword in the flame. And there were some things about the rules I kind of ignored because I thought, ah, yeah, I'm going to leave that one out. I'm going to leave that one out. Work for gameplay because I wanted I wanted us to have more fun. And I had a guy who just brutalized me because the nuance of the rule just made the whole thing very, very difficult to play. I think I got so frustrated. I just kind of called the game. It's okay, you win. And I packed
1: it up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So when David when David was uh, was writing this, he he made this for black powder specifically, and uh, he used that he uh, rule did. set. He did,
1: he did. But the thing of it is, is the way I, he wrote the article. I think you could probably use it for just about anything, you know. And I always tell people, don't be limited by you know what a rule set it's it's written for. Look at it and say, what can I get out of this? That's that's a, a lesson I learned very early on as a war gamer. How did you start? I started um, with on the board gaming side, actually. I uh, my grandfather, I was uh, eight years old and uh, he bought me a copy of Tactics 2 for my birthday. And I think he regretted that gift ever since that day (laughs) (laughs) until the day he died, because that started the spark that put me here. Board gaming became role playing, role playing became miniatures, and that was pretty much all she wrote. I mean, my first, I will confess, my first gaming loves are, of course, World War II and the war that never was, but I did play a lot of Colonials in my high school years. And I think it was because it was just something about the period that kind of has that whole Indiana Jones, Daring Do kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, ah, it's all very sporting and all that. I think I weirded my mom out at one point because she said, "You know, all the other kids are watching all these ma- movies made in the '90s." My my son's favorite actor is a, actor is a Errol Flynn and Gregory Peck.
0: I, you know, I was fortunate. I uh, I had that support. So that that support, yeah. I had, you know, it was the uh, <laughs> when I when I did my stint in, in uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Then my mom was like, uh, "So, what are you
1: doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. For me, it was Twilight 2000, and I think my mom was very concerned when she saw me come home with a copy of the Office Te- Office of Te- Technological Assessments uh, book that they had written in 1979 called "The Effects of Nuclear War," and it was probably printed on the cover. And she see me bring this home, and she's like, "Jason, where did you get that?"
0: She's probably thinking you're part of a cult or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The whole idea of uh, of this podcast, Shot and Shield, focusing on colonial 19th century, isn't to ignore that there are other games out there. You know, I know there's World War II. I know there's Napoleon, you know, Civil War, U.S. Civil War, which, as uh, the listeners know, I tried to avoid, um, and that there's biblical and that there's 17th century American Revolution. And I, I always found that the 19th century is so rich with all these different histories that could be gamed that doesn't get talked about even during the time that I've had this podcast on the air or on the download, I should say, (laughs) I just, I just ventured into the old radio guy. Um, The, since I've had this podcast going um, there's things I've learned. I never knew existed, you know, that I never even contemplated or even, even entered my head. I'll give you an example. The battles uh, down in South America during the mid 18th century, uh, 1800s, (laughs) they did. You know, and I'm almost I'm I'm well into my 50s, and I always consider myself somewhat of of a history buff, and to, to actually miss that uh, blows my mind. There's another thing on on the current magazine, the one that's out right now, and that is, and I saw the title and I went, "Oh, that sounds fun." It sounds fun because to me, it sounds it sounds back beyondish. It sounds uh, colonial. It sounds 19th century. It sounds 19th century. The Syria Road Rally. I'm probably totally wrong about that.
1: Oh, but... unfortunately, yes, you are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doggone it! Oh, shoot! But uh... just the name alone, the Syria Road, road Rally, and uh, Mike Byrne uh, wrote the article. I saw that on the cover. I haven't. When I get a chance, I gotta dig into that. That sounds so cool. So I guess I'm wrong. So, w- so what's that, What's this about?
1: Well, Mike Byrne is a big fanatic of ambush alley games dearly de- dearly departed ambush alley games i say that their rule set force on force he's a huge fan and it's a good set of rules i like it a lot of people like it it's good for modern gaming such as the madness unfortunately that is going on in ukraine but we won't get into that but he does a lot of games set in syria and one of the games that he did was this fairly i say fairly real life incident because you know news from Syria is sketchy right and he did a real he did sort of a game adaptation of an incident that apparently was something out of a Mad Max movie where you had all <laughs> these various serious oh that's so groups. that's
0: so nothing to do with the 19th century so i got you
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you basically imagine just about you know, everybody from U.S. Special Forces to ISIS to Al Nusra to the Russians showing up in wheeled vehicles and shooting it out with each other.
0: Okay, I got you. It's, it sounds so cool.
1: It is. It is. It, it sounds is.
0: so cool. It is. Uh, we saw yeah. it at
1: Historicon. I turned to Mike. I said, "I want this for the magazine." Mike.
0: <laughs> 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 I have. You know, it's, I have to confess the, the project I have going now, uh, going on now is uh, I, I I called it the Wars on the Silk Road. You know, so I see Syria Road Rally. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I wonder, I wonder if that's all in the same veins. I'm so wrong. So sorry. Wrong. That's okay. Sorry it's okay. To disappoint it you. gave me another idea, but, you know, regardless, so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking with uh, Jason. Uh, the website is militaryminiature.com. The new issue is out now, uh, and you want to grab it for sure. Now, military, uh, military miniatures, you, you cover a wide scope of wargaming.
1: We cover anything in miniature wargaming with one singular exception: we don't do Games Workshop. And the reason is one, they have their own magazine, and two, well, you know, let's just say it's just easier to do to, to not cover them than it is to cover them for various things I won't get into on here.
0: <laughs> okay, but as far as periods go, you're pretty wide ranging. You'll go you'll go B.C. to A.D. Uh, and everything yep. in between.
1: Yep. We'll do sci-fi. We'll do fantasy. I mean, you know, we'd love to get some sci-fi or fantasy uh, content as well. I mean, hey, all you Stargrave and Frostgrave players out there, we'd like your content, please.
0: <laughs> and then, you, you know, you and I were talking off air. I guess uh, you, you're looking for someone uh, to write uh, Civil War, U.S. Civil War. Yeah,
1: we'd love U.S. Civil War. We'd love some of the other more shall we say formed conflicts in the 19th century franco-prussian the various italian wars uh, crimea would be a wonderful thing to see on the tabletop because that's that's napoleonic with rifle muskets which is actually right. kind of <laughs> yeah yeah we all know how know. that worked out
0: <laughs> so there you say so there you go peoples uh, jason is looking for uh, a few of you to uh help him out you can uh, send your uh, send an email to me here at uh, shot and shield at uh, gmail.com, and I'll forward it on to, uh, to Jason here. So what other, you know, Just to, I'm going to pin you down here. I'm going to pin you down, Jason. What other, uh, in your uh, in your other past issues, what uh, 19th century material have you, uh, have you covered?
1: Well, we did some Napoleonics, uh, mm-hmm. David, again. He, he's been very prolific in that century. He did a uh, sharp practice scenario based on Napoleon's retreat from Russia, where the ninth regiment of the line almost lost their eagle to a force of um, of russian cossacks you do a magazine and then you kind of just it's like out of your head because you're like
0: i do that with the podcast like i'll answer emails i'll get an email i go oh that that's interesting and i'll answer that and then i'm thinking to myself wait a minute, did i answer that back in november did is it th-? and then i i ended up going ahead and answering it it's the same answer and then I'll go back and listen. Oh, no, yeah. Scott, yeah, you did it again. You, you you repeated yourself. So, But speaking of when you were talking about the Russians there, speaking of the Russians, this is what I want to get into because uh, I have an ongoing deal uh, re- with regards to back of beyond. Now, if you if uh, listener to uh, the Shot and Shield uh, podcast here, the Supercast came out at the beginning of April. I had Craig Thompson on, and him and I talked about this a little bit, and I warned you. I warned you, the listener that I was going to continue to ask uh, friends of the podcast about Back of Beyond and what it means. And I'm going to do this with Jason here. Jason, when I hear Back of Beyond and then I look at Back of Beyond, it is Russian, Chinese, Mongolian, Tibetan, basically anything that that Copplestone uh, produces, that is considered Back of Beyond. I kind of don't buy it. It doesn't make sense to me because back and beyond to me is the far outreaching world that doesn't get that doesn't get played you know i'd love to hear your thoughts about that what is back of beyond to you
1: to me back of beyond is the mongolian steps it's site- Siberia, it's the, you know, leavings of the Russian Civil War, the, the, the whites who got away one step ahead of the Bolshevik, Bolsheviks and their commissars making trouble along the Russian-Chinese border, it's Chinese warlords running around causing all types of their own mayhem, it's, you know, American and British mercenaries from the who were veterans of the First World War who have nowhere else to go and nothing to do. You know, so they've hired themselves out. It's, it's everything and anything. It's Indiana Jones. It's, you know, high road to China. It's, hold you up, know. Road,
0: hold, hold hold high road to China. You mean that, uh, that movie with Tom Selleck,
1: right? Right. Yes. Uh-oh. That exact one. <laughs> Underrated film.
0: It's Indiana Jones light, Jason.
1: Yes, exactly. It's, uh. you know, I'm sorry, but to me, you know, you cannot go wrong, you know, if if that's the approach that you take, you know, one of the great back of beyond films that you know people may disagree with me, but I think one of the great back of beyond films is Indiana Jones and the, the Temple of Doom.
0: That's a good one. I like
1: that one. Yeah,
0: Actually, I mean, it, all the all of them, all of them are really good. I like the obviously the first one, and then the one with Sean Connery. I I loved that one. For I don't know yeah. why it was just really it was so campy,
1: but I loved it. But the first two get that back of beyond feel that oh my god, we're out in the middle of nowhere you know digging up things we probably shouldn't be And the third had sort of that feel once you got to the the, the hiding site of the Holy Grail and mm-hmm. you know that whole fight with the with the British Mark I tank dressed up with the turret and everything else but <laughs> yeah but to get my point it's it's all about that kind of absolute crazy that the first world war and the russian civil war left in these areas and you know the bolsheviks weren't strong enough to really assert their 30 their authority out there in the until the 30s the japanese were another 10 years off the chinese warlords were all you know bickering amongst each other until shang kai-shek you know smacked them all around um and Mao Tung was working in a chinese bank somewhere if i remember correctly so you know this is a fertile ground for all kinds of wargaming crazy, as I put it.
0: Okay. You make a good case. In my noggin, it's still, when I hear the French in Djibouti in the 1920s, there's something that's very back of beyond-ish uh, for me there.
1: I could I could agree with that. I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be limited to that area. It's just that's what I think of. But like I said, all of those crazy mm-hmm. post-First World War colonial expeditions i mean if you really want to get crazy back of beyond stuff that's not in that particular region of the world look at the moroccan riff war of the 1920s okay yeah yeah you got a young francisco franco mm-hmm. making his reputation smacking the snot out of you know various yeah. um spanish moroccan guerrilla groups
0: i would totally go with that i would totally i would totally uh go with that and you're probably, the you know, the people listening are probably thinking, what's that have to do with the 19th century? You know, in my in my mind, it's, you know, colonialism, uh, 19th century and the back and beyond. Back and beyond is this, for me, an extension of colonialism. You know, what's what's to say that uh, the Bolsheviks and uh, the white Russians weren't fighting over who was going to rule the land and who was going to control that land and who's going to control that people?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the wars that grew out of the Russian Civil War the Russo-Polish wars the Baltic wars for independence the Russo the Finnish Civil War that was all Russian colon- parts of the Russian colonial empire saying oh, no 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 we don't want to be part of you anymore uh, and you not know? to bring
0: and then to bring this up too and not to be uh, not to get in too deep into it but i mean ukraine did the same thing back in uh, 1919 1920
1: exactly they had their, they were really their own participant in the Russian civil war right I, I'm doing a lot of Russian Civil War myself these days. It's sort of my new Gonzo period, as I like to call it. I call it, you know, it's not just it's not just that back up beyond. It's that Jazz Age colonialism. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, if you really want to get you know, kind of crazy, you can do the Marines in Haiti, the Marines in Nicaragua. That's also pretty yeah. crazy stuff. No, that's you true. You know, the, the one of the fun parts about it is. You know, every time you do 19th standard 19th century colonialism, many times the natives. Well, let's be honest; they're not that well armed. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no, not that well armed. I think that one of the things that uh, end up coming down to is the rule set. Yeah. You know, because there are some rule sets out there that, uh, uh, you know, all things all things uh, being equal, the Europeans are always going to come out ahead. Which is, you know, and I, I've said this uh, many times. One of the, one of the games that I absolutely adore um, in this period is the Men Who Would Be Kings. It's one of my it's one of my staples, and it's a it's a basic. It's very very basic. It uses a little bit of a point system. They, it breaks it down in a very basic way. Everything is just is block by block, and not very m- nuanced. But it always, because of the way the shape of the game, it always gives everybody a chance. Which, if you're a war gamer, who wants to have a good time? There's always has to be that chance that you're going to lose, but there also has to be that other chance that you're going to win. And you know, uh, in my in my case, if I have my Russian colonials up against my uh, Turkmeni, you know, Turkmeni has needs a chance. And what's the point of playing the game if it's going to be a rollover? And in, in in some cases in history, we've seen that uh, some of those rollovers never occurred. You know, Zulus, for instance, or the first battles, uh, as as David Hiscox probably knows uh, in your magazine you know, Wolseley's coming down to rescue Gordon from Khartoum for a reason. Um, But in the rule set, at least in my opinion, uh, it has to play it evenly. And some of the rule sets just don't do that.
1: No, sadly they don't. But what I love about jazz age colonialism is even the natives are packing bolt action rifles. Even they might have a couple of machine guns, and pieces of artillery. It's not so easy for the, um, uh, colonial player to just show up and go oh ha, ha, i have a machine gun and 20 men with rifles right. and I, I will i will dominate you it's like oh that's nice you know we've got machine guns and artillery too you could do it if you do it right there's a 19th century flavor where everybody's kind of operating on the end of a shoe shoestring it's also kind of got that where you have more modern weapon systems and you can do more with the troops. They're not, you know, foreign body still kind of kind of running o- off of Napoleonic, which eventually evolves into open order, which eventually mm-hmm. evolves into the more nuanced tactical systems that you see in the first world war. That's what you're seeing in things like jazz age colonialism. Only you're thank God seeing it without the blood, the mud, the the yeah. poison gas and all the other horrors of the first world war. <laughs> And, and the best part about it is it's a period where you don't need a lot of government slash colonial types. You don't need a lot of ironmongery because there isn't. The biggest thing the, uh, the, the Europeans might show up with is an armored car. Right. Or maybe an airplane if they're really lucky or it's the northwest frontier.
0: Speaking with Jason, uh, he is the editor in chief of Military Miniature. Uh, and you can uh, get the uh, new download, uh, militaryminiature.com. It's a North American digital publication covering war games, tabletop games, miniatures, conventions, and a whole lot more. Jason, uh, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for uh, your magazine. So let me ask you this. When somebody picks up your magazine here, what do you want the reader to walk away with?
1: I want them, A, to walk away like they spent their money well. I mean, that's that's the thing we want the most. B, I want them to feel like they looked at this thing and they've got 10 different ideas swimming in their head. I want to hit them with so many ideas that it's like, oh, cool, you know, this thing is indispensable to me. This, I'm gonna go out and get a subscription. I'm gonna go out and support this magazine. I want this thing to succeed because it is of use to me. That's the kind of feelings I want engendered in the reader. That's I want the reader to have a hell of a good time reading it.
0: Jason, excellent. I appreciate you coming on, uh, talking about the magazine, talking. Colonialism and uh, 19th-century wargaming with me. I look forward to reading uh, this this publication. I'm gonna go get my download now, and I, I wish you much success. And and you're gonna come back. I'm gonna have you back. That's a thank that's you. A, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna do this again. Jason Weiser, he is the editor-in-chief of. Military miniature, North American digital publication covering war games, tabletop games, miniatures, conventions. The download is now for the new edition, and you have been listening to the Shot and Shield podcast, dedicated to colonial and nineteenth-century war game. You've been listening in, in Brisbane, Australia, Tel Aviv, Israel, and Miami, Florida, to the Shot and Shield podcast. I am Lord Scott. I'm out. This has been a production of the Experience 13 Podcast Network. 13! Your electricity. 13!